When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because you see, it's very simple. In the chaos of my life, I was always blaming other people. It's your fault. You might as well come to recognize that. It is your fault. I want to be clear. Because somebody's going to email me, try to cancel me. You can't cancel me, I promise. I'm not going away. The reality is this. We are not culpable for the bad things that happen in our life when we are children. You're not. It is not your fault you had terrible parents or circumstances or those things happen. I'm sorry. It fucking sucks. I wish it didn't. I would love to be talking to you about anything else on planet Earth, but that's not my reality. And you have to understand this. At one point, when you recognize and you hold on to what I'm about to tell you as real truth, your life will be different. You are not a child anymore. And you cannot blame the world for your life being in chaos right now. There's a difference between a dream chaser and a dream catcher. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. You guys are in for a treat today. I was scouring the internet. And I was looking for people and this guy in Denver, Colorado popped up and he has an uncommon last name. It might not be his legal last name yet, but at some point I believe it will be. I've got Michael Unbroken on with me today. Michael, how are things out in the Midwest or is it the far West? I don't know how Denver falls into that, man. I don't know, man. I just got here. Uh, Things are amazing, brother. Like life is good. I love my life. I love what's happening in the world right now. I'm super excited to be here with you. I'm ready to rock and roll. So most people run away from trauma. They run away from pain, but you live in that space, right? You help people in that space. So what was life before you started there? And we'll come back to that and actually talk about your journey of catching these dreams that you've caught. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah. And I'm happy to go deep too. The reality is when I think about life, and, and you're right, there are people who live in that space of pain. And, you know, I've been there. You know, I've played the victim. I've blamed the world. I've blamed parents, teachers, community, Obama. Like, I blamed everybody, you know what I'm saying? And the, the truth is, when you live in that space, when you live in that world, you are going to die with regret because there's always going to be a reason why you can't live your life. And the space that I live in now is not that in pain, but in hope, in, in tools and showing people the reality of the truth of the experience of life, if they're willing to take action and make decisions. And ultimately, man, I think about this every single day, Jerome. The truth is, the truth is I should be dead or in jail and I'm not. So it is my responsibility to take the information and knowledge that I've been bestowed upon to give to the world. Now, that's a profound statement. I should be in Jail or dead? How'd you arrive at that? Yeah. Well, why don't I tell you a little bit about my background and create some context here? Because I, I think that's important. So I'll, I'll throw you the elevator pitch of life, okay? And then we can go as deep as you want to. I grew up in Indianapolis. My mother was a drug addict and alcoholic. And she was also a victim of childhood trauma and abuse. When I was four years old, she actually cut off my right index finger. And so that's baseline. My stepfather, who she married when I was six, was super abusive. He'd kick the shit out of my brothers and I, put me in the hospital multiple times. By the time that I was 10 years old, I lived with 30, three zero different families. 
We were always getting evicted. We were constantly homeless. Our water would get turned off. The heat would get turned off. The electricity would get turned off. Sometimes I was only eating at school. By the time that I was 12, I got high for the first time, drunk at 13. And by 15, I was expelled for selling drugs. And I got put into a last chance program. And I still didn't graduate high school on time. Basically, they handed me the diploma and they're like, you got to get out of here. We cannot mess with you anymore. And I was sitting here, like looking at my life at 18 years old, feeling like a loser and being like, well, what's the solution for poverty, for trauma, for abuse, for food stamps, for showering in the gym because the water is turned off? And I was like, oh, it's money. Of course. Like that's the answer. And so I said to myself, I want to make $100,000 a year legally. This is the most important part. I have family in prison for life. As of today, my three childhood best friends have been murdered. I've been in handcuffs. I've done really awful things. And I knew like, if I stayed down that path, this moment would not exist. And so I made a decision. I said, I want to make 100 grand a year legally. And I found myself in a position at 20 years old, working for a Fortune 10 company with no high school diploma and no college education. Like I made that thing come true. But what happened was what happened to a lot of people who have abuse, who have trauma, who have not done the work, and also people who have never had money before, it destroyed my life. And I found myself at 25 heading into 26 at 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep, cheating on my girlfriends, doing some of the craziest things you could possibly imagine. And that's when I put a gun in my mouth. I was just done. I was so tired. I was like, money was supposed to solve this and it didn't. And today, fast forward 11 years later, like the truth is the only reason I'm here today is because of the choices and decisions that I made. I put myself in some very difficult situations. And in that I learned and I grew and I started doing therapy, group therapy, men's group therapy, all of the things you can imagine, coaching, reading the books, going to the seminars. And today I have like over 30 trauma-informed certifications, you know, because I recognize the truth about life is that if you can learn, you can get yourself out of any situation. And, and one day, a decade ago, I'm laying in bed. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Keep in mind, I'm 350 pounds. I'm smoking a joint, eating chocolate cake, and watching the CrossFit games. Like, dude, if that's not rock bottom, I don't know what is. And, and in that moment, I asked myself a question. I said, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? The answer was no excuses, just results. And today I'm talking to you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> That's crazy, right? And so you said I can go as deep as I want. I can ask whatever I want. Suicide is something most people of color won't admit that they've considered this, the suicidal ideation. And I mean, you went a step further as to having a gun in your mouth. So what made you not pull the trigger? I think is question number one. I did. The craziest thing of my whole life happened in that moment. And the gun did not fire. And, and look, I've had this thought go through my head 10 billion times. It's my birthday. My girlfriend's on the other side of the door begging me to come out of the bathroom. I have my feet against the door. Like, this, like it's the craziest moment of my whole life, honestly. And I don't know if it's because I was so damn drunk. I don't know if the gun misfired. I have no idea what happened, but I pulled that trigger and I'm still here. And so when I talk about like being bestowed upon my, the, the knowledge for me to create change in the world, like that singularly is one of the most important moments in my life. And I'll never understand it. Wow. All right. So the, the comment that dead is a real one because you did everything you could to get there. So I grew up in a place where, you know, a lot of my best friends did one of three things, sold drugs, went into the military, or worked at a tire factory. There wasn't really a whole lot of options other than those three. At least those, they weren't presented to us. And so I still remember getting a phone call while I'm in college about a drive-by shooting 
in the cul-de-sac that I used to play basketball in every afternoon and sideline bus football and so on, where the parents of the kids that I was playing with, one of them was shot on his front porch because he thought it was one of the kids or the gunman thought it was one of the kids. And then the kids had to live with the fact that what they were doing in all, for all intents and purposes led to the death of their father, not just the death, the murder, the cold-blooded murder of their father at his home. So let's talk about that transition. Like what happened when you decided that I'm selling drugs because I'm poor and I need to eat? Because being hungry is not fun for anybody. Having no home stability is not fun for anybody. I'm not doing this because I want all the jewelry and the cars. I'm just trying to get my basic needs met. And then, of course, you progress after you figure out that you can progress. But why not just keep going down that path? Yeah, I mean, that's a phenomenal question. You know, I think there's a lot of different factors in that one Probably the foremost is every Sunday for years, I used to go to Pendleton Prison just west of Indianapolis and go and visit my uncle. And so going to prison at five years old, you like that just the most terrifying thing in my life was like going to jail. Dude, I ran from cops. I got shot. There was a 0% chance I was, there would be death by cop. Like, no, I was not willing to go to prison. And, and I, I well, do, I put myself in those situations. I made those bad decisions, but I, I want to be pointed here. That played a factor, but here's the truth about it. The first time I sold drugs, I was 12 years old, 12, a baby dude. And it was like my best friend, his parents sold drugs. And so it, it just started as weed as it always does. And then it turned into pills and then it turned into Coke runs. and we used to pinch off little bits of his mom's and dad's weed and we'd go sell these little nickel bags, you know, make a five spot. And we'd be like, cool, we can go to Wendy's. You know what I'm saying? Like that was real. And there was a period of time where my mom had totally abandoned me, and I was living in this house by myself for a summer and there was no water. There was a no electricity. There was a, I don't know where you're at in the world, but there was a big lots around the corner, which is kind of like a, a Kmart-ish situation. And I would go to this Big Lots and I would steal food from it. It was around the corner from my house, 30th and Georgetown, right by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And, you know, it was so strange to me to look at the world through this scope of people not having to do that. And I remember so distinctly just being like, I'm not going to be like this when I'm a grown up. Like I'd made that choice. And my best friend and I, when his brother got out of jail at one point, his brother was much older than us in his early twenties. And we would go on rides with him. I don't know what we were like. You don't know what you're doing when you're 14 years old. Like, I want to be clear. Like these people who these kids who get arrested and get adult prison sentences and go to juvenile when they're young, they don't know what they're doing. And it's asinine that we actually believe that they do, that they have culpability for this because for a lot of us, it's survival. And so like we would go with his brother and do some really crazy shit, right? And I would just watch it. I was always cognizant. I'd be in the backseat of the car. I had this old Lincoln and we just like drive around and be crazy. And I'd just be like, I'm going to die if I keep hanging out with these guys. But Jerome, here's the thing, and I don't know if you'll resonate with this, but I know some people will. They were my brothers. They were my community. They were the only safety I had in the world. The most dangerous place for me in my life was inside my home. But when I was with them, whether we were riding bikes in alleys or stealing shit from Target or breaking into people's houses and selling their stuff at the pawn shop, that was family. That was blood. That was everything to me. And the more I watched it, the more I watched the evolution. And I'll, I want to tell you this quick story. So one day my best friend comes over, I'm like 17. And I was in this after, I was in this last chance program. Like they're for real. They're like, dude, you're either going to do this or you're done. You go get a GED, you go work at the factory, whatever. And so he comes over one night. He's like, Hey man, we got to go up North 
I got a line on some Coke. And we were like, cool, let's go make some money. And he comes over to my house. And we had done this before. This wasn't the first time. And I don't know why. I I swear to you, I'll never understand this. He comes over. He knocks on the side screen door. My grandma yells, Michael, go get the door, right? You know how that is. And my gut was like, do not go with him tonight. And he's, we're in the, the driveway and he's like, dude, come on. I need you. Just stay in the car, man. It's cool. I just got to run in. I run out. You know, we're, we're going to flip this. We'll be straight. And I was like, I can't. Like the, even the pain, like I didn't get emotional thinking about it. like the pain about that moment felt like I was letting down the person I love the most in the world. Right. Well, that night he doesn't come home. I see his mom the next day. She works at that big lots I'm talking about. And I go up to her and she goes, Hey, where's he at? I go, I don't know. He didn't, I don't know. Another day goes by. It wasn't uncommon for him to disappear. You know what I mean? Like it was like, whatever. He might be gone a couple of days. Fine. Whatever. We're 16. We're morons. <laughs> and uh, turns out he got arrested on the way back down from this town with a, with cocaine in the back of the car because he had a tail light out. You see, he was a minor. I was of age, 17 in Indiana. If I were in that car that night, Jerome, I would not be here right now. Oh, so, I mean, you're amplifying a point that I like to pull on. I call it a string. I like to pull on and It's about the people that we spend time with, right? And so you checked out that time. And in a lot of instances, I, I would assume you were probably the alpha in the group. You probably told people to do and not do, and they followed you. They followed your, come on. I wasn't. I was the opposite. I was a follower, 100%. I was such a follower because I was willing to do anything for you to be my friend. I was so lonely. And so in that, I liked your favorite band. I like your favorite clothes. Like, you remember, how old are you? Can I ask you? Yeah, 38. Okay, so you remember Jerbo jeans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of right? course, man. I had the black yeah. ones with the Velcro and the... With the strap. Yeah. yeah. I hate those jeans. And I wore them so that you would like me. You know what I'm saying? And so I just wanted love, man. I just wanted compassion and friendship. And I was willing to do whatever it took. And so, dude, we'd be in, this cr- in these crazy situations doing drugs and drug dens with strangers. I smoked fucking embalming fluid dipped blunt one time because I was like, this is what we do. You know what I mean? And that's the kind of chaos that that kids grow up in when they don't have love and support and parents who actually care about them. And that's the continuation of all the, the crazy trauma and abuse and these dark things that happen. And I, I didn't discover who I was until 10 years ago. And I'm still in that process. It was impossible for me to say no to people because I, I was so scared of being abandoned. So I can see why you'd perceive me as being an alpha male with the energy I carry in the person I am today. But I promise you, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, not even close. So this is really interesting. So you said no. He said, I need you. Yeah. How did you get out of that? I, man, I cannot tell you strongly enough how much my gut that day told me do not do this and i had done crazy stuff man it wasn't the first time we'd done this but that night part of it was like i actually had straight a's in high school for one period of time i was captain of the wrestling team i was dating a cheerleader like things were looking up for a moment and part of that is a factor in it but the other part of it is I, my gut just said, don't do this tonight. And I listened. And it was actually one of the first times I ever had. And I was just, I was so in conflict with myself about that decision. Life is strange like that. So was there survivor's remorse, right? Because he gets handcuffed. What happens to you at that point? Because, I mean, that's your bud. It's your best friend. Yeah. You know, so he did a little stint in juvenile. 
And, you know, he got out and then dropped out of high school after that. And I turned off because I had decided somewhere in that window of that moment and the summer right before my senior year of high school, I just became a robot. I became an emotional robot because I don't know exactly what happened. It might've been getting back in contact with my mother. It might've been death of one of my friends, but something in there happened. And basically I turned off emotionally and in being turned off emotionally, what happened is I, I just became so avoidant of everything. I went from a straight A student to straight Fs. I got kicked out of school again. I was working some bullshit job at Hollywood video while I was selling weed at night. I kind of pushed all my friends away and I ostracized myself and my singular focus literally became get into the military, get out of Indiana. And that's what I tried to do. Did you do it? I didn't. And here's why I tore my patella tendon and a bursa sac in my right knee and I couldn't pass MEPS. And I got an almost perfect score on the ASVAB. I could have done any job I wanted. My only dream as a, I had two dreams as a kid, Jerome, two dreams, dead serious. Don't die and become a Marine Corps scout sniper. Those were my two dreams. And so when I finally was in the situation to join the military, it felt like it was just stolen from me, man. It's yeah. craziest feeling ever to be in that recruiter's office and to him look at me in the face and go, they're not going to let you in. I didn't know what to do now. And that's where like that actually became one of the real catalysts for me making a decision to go after money legally. I come from a military family. My little brother served, my cousin served, my uncle served, my family historically. You know, you look at minority populations, typically those families serve, a lot of them, or poor, lower class, so I'm biracial, black and white. The white side of my family has served, the black side of my family has served, and it just became this out. And then I was just stuck. I was like, I don't know what to do now. And that's where all of that came from about money, about doing it the right way. And I don't think if I would have, here's what I think about all the time. Like, I can't change anything that's ever happened in my life. And I'm so happy that everything that has ever happened has happened because I love my life, dude. I love it. Every single moment, the good, the bad, the middle, all of it is beautiful to me. And I heard Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters say something one time that it, it literally changed the way I think about the world. He goes, I'm happy about the happy things and I'm sad about the sad things. And I was like, man, if that ain't life, I don't know what is. So wait, you don't get into the military. You can't get out, right? So do you just go back to selling drugs? I mean, I know you said you wanted to do it the legal way, but what options did no, you have? Great you didn't question. have education? Come on. Yeah, great question. I ended up because they literally handed me the high school diploma. I finally got one of those. I went to this summer school and this teacher was like, you just come here two times and we'll get it figured out. How do you let a kid off like that? That is so crazy to me, man. And like, luckily, let, let me give you a little bit of context here. So my high school business teacher, Mr. Bush, one of the greatest influences of my entire life. The start of the senior year, second semester, he was my first period class. Indiana, we started high school at like 7.05 in the morning, like crazy early. And I walked up to him on the first day of the semester. Mr. Bush been teaching at inner city schools for 20 years. He's seen it all, heard it all. You're not going to tell this dude nothing he doesn't know. I walk up to him. I go, I'm not coming to your class. Literally at that point, I go, I'm not coming to your class. I'm selling drugs. My grandma's in the hospital because she had a heart attack and was in a coma. And so I was at home by myself with my little brother. We're trying to survive. Do you think I care about high school? You're out of your mind. And so I walk up to him and, you know, because my grandma was raising me, like many children who grow up like me. And he goes, I get it. Check in with me and do homework. We'll figure it out. I didn't check in with him or do homework one time, not one. And so 
The graduation list gets posted. My girlfriend calls me at home. I'm stoned playing video games like one in the afternoon. She goes, your name's not on the list. I go, what are you talking about? She goes, your name's not on the list. Fuck. I was about to become the biggest loser in the whole school, Jerome. It's impossible not to graduate from that school. Harris Polls did a study in the early 2000s called the Dropout Factories. My school was on that list of one of the worst schools in America. It's impossible. Dude, they just, they want you out. They want you out. Don't be our problem anymore. Great. Now I'm the biggest loser in the whole school. I walk up to Mr. Bush's room. I'm pissed. I'm 18. Oh, dude, I'm so mad. I walk up to him. I go, how dare you fail me? He's like so chill about it, dude. He looks at me. He goes, I didn't fail you. You failed yourself. And he said the most important thing to this day that anyone has ever said to me. He goes, you need to understand about life that you can't get by on your charms and your good looks. If you want something, you have to earn it. He's the only person who believed in me. Like that changed my life forever. And I had an amazing teacher, Mr. Hollingsworth. I always shout him out too because he was dope. But that singular moment with Mr. Bush is it transformed everything about my life. Had to go to summer school. My friends stopped talking to me, dude. You didn't graduate. <laughs> they were like, you fucking loser. We don't want to hang out with you. And then I, <laughs> I go to this summer school and this teacher's nonsense. He's just like, just come twice and we'll get it done. The opposite of what Mr. Bush had just told me. So now I'm in conflict. Now I'm getting to a point to answer your question, I promise. So I'm in this position and I'm like, Mr. Bush is right. He's right. I cannot get by like this anymore. It's going to catch up to me. I see it all the time. Kids in my high school get murdered. They're going to jail. My uncle's in prison again. My mom's in rehab again. My little brother is out in Afghanistan. Like my shit, my grandma's in a fucking coma. It's crazy what's happening in my life when I'm 18 years old, man. It's crazy. And I'm like, I got to figure this out. The first thing I thought was I'm going to go get a job being a manager at a fast food restaurant. I have no idea why, but I thought that's the way that you do it. I was like, I'll go buy a McDonald's one day, something, I don't know. And I ended up getting a job as a general manager in training, making $37,000 a year at 18 years old. That might as well be a million bucks. Of course, they make me work the bit shift. I'm working until fucking 4 a.m. every day and I have no life and all that. I did that for a couple of years. And one day I'm having a conversation. I'm just trying to figure out $100,000. That's the goal, right? And I'm trying to figure this out. And I'm having a conversation with one of my friends who actually went to high school with me. We were great friends when we were kids. And, but he was always the stoner kid who like actually did his homework. He was like valid Victorian and shit. You know, that guy always pissed me off, man. And so we're talking on MySpace, aging myself, just chatting. And he's like, dude, I got a new job. I just bought a car. I was like, dude, that's amazing. What are you doing? My first thought was he got a warehouse job, right? That's, That's what, what I you do. He got a warehouse job and yeah. he went and got a car to buy here, pay here. That's what I thought happened. And he goes, no, dude, I went to this lot. I got a lease. What the fuck is a lease? I don't know. He's like, I got a job for an insurance company. Boom. Mind blown. You talked about the idea that you were never exposed to things that were possible, right? You mentioned that at the start of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. That's what that was for me because I had never ever thought it was possible that I could have a job working in a corporate company. It didn't seem feasible because I'd worked warehouse jobs and server jobs and bullshit jobs. I got fired from a warehouse job where I just literally put computers into boxes. They fired me. I was also high. I'm not going to lie, but they fired me. And so like, I was like, what am I supposed to do? And he told me that and I'd, I was working that job as a manager at Wendy's. I was growing. I was becoming a general manager. I had 52 people under me. I was setting sales records for fast food. It was crazy what was happening. It was awesome. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like that is the hardest job of, to this day, the hardest job I've ever had. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go work for an insurance company. And for the next year, 
All I did was apply to insurance companies and write resumes and cover letters and interview and get better and better and learn skills and learn how to be better at these things and just kept doing it, rinse and repeat. And right after my 21st birthday, I cashed my first check for $10,000. I did it. From insurance. From an insurance company. Fortune 10 company. No high school diploma, no college education. And the money was the goal because that's the only thing I thought was the solution for poverty. But as I would come to find out, like, that doesn't solve the problem. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. You gave it to me. I'm biting. What is the solution for poverty if money isn't? Yeah, it's a great question. The solution, it's not even just poverty. It's not even just poverty. The solution for every problem that we face as individuals, I won't even put the collective in it because that's too generalized and I think that's unfair. Every problem that we face as individuals that feel out of alignment, that feel out of balance, that feel against our wants, needs, interests, boundaries, values, and who we are as a human being, every single problem in your life right now, you, not the collective, you, is solved by one thing. Make a decision. Because you see, it's very simple. In the chaos of my life, I was always blaming other people. It's your fault. You might as well come to recognize that. It is your fault. I want to be clear. Because somebody's going to email me, try to cancel me. You can't cancel me, I promise. I'm not going away. The reality is this. We are not culpable for the bad things that happen in our life when we are children. You're not. It is not your fault you had terrible parents or circumstances or those things happen. I'm sorry. It fucking sucks. I wish it didn't. I would love to be talking to you about anything else on planet Earth, but that's not my reality. And you have to understand this. At one point, when you recognize and you hold on to what I'm about to tell you as real truth, Your life will be different. You are not a child anymore. And you cannot blame the world for your life being in chaos right now. Because at this moment, and every single moment from this point on, everything that happens in your life is your fault. And when you can acknowledge that, And just look at it. And fault means responsibility. Good, bad, and different. It's all on you. The directionality of what is next for you lies within you making choices and decisions in regard to the things that you feel deep inside of you. And by honoring those. I tell my clients all the time, the thing that's keeping you awake at night that's crushing you, that you're like, I need to do this. That is the thing that if you do it, will change your life forever. But you have to make a decision. Say it again. Say it Say it, Say it again. Say it again. It will. I'm telling you right now, man, that thing that keeps you awake at night, if you go and do that thing, listen to me, quit the job, start the business, leave the relationship, ask him to marry you. Go on the trip, do the thing, go volunteer. That thing that is keeping you awake at night that you are so desperately fucking craving every single day that you are ignoring because you are scared of being judged by other people is the singular thing that will change your life forever and put you on a trajectory to greatness. But you're afraid because people are going to judge you. They're already judging you. That has nothing to do with you. Nobody cares about your problems. Look, I'm going to keep it real with you. And this is not to be dismissive because I want the best for people. You are keeping yourself from being great. Nobody else. Nobody is stopping you from having anything in your life that you want to have. You know, I told you my story. I'm not special. I don't know shit. I promise you this. 
but I'm not going to sacrifice who I am because I'm willing to make the hard choices. Number one best-selling book, award-winning speaker, podcast, investments from billionaires. I have mentors in my life who they make more money in five seconds than I'll make in a whole year, and they spend an hour with me. You know what I'm saying? Like the truth about life is you can have it. It's right here. It's right here. But you don't want it bad enough. You just want to sit there and blame everybody. You want to say it's your fault. Look, shit happens. I get it. I get it. It sucks. But guess what? You can't change the past. You can't change five seconds ago. It has gone forever. But what you can do is leverage and anchor yourself against that and make a decision about who you are with that experience. Because the truth is, we're the sum total of all of our experiences leading to this moment. That means everything that has ever happened to us defines who we are. And you can hold on to the things that suck, and you can hold on to the things that are good, and you can choose to stay in that loop and be comfortable. And I promise you, within comfort is regret because you're going to be on your deathbed. I promise you this is true. You're going to be on your deathbed in the moment right before it's all gone. You're going to go, I wish I would have done that thing. And that's going to be a life unlived. And that's the most terrifying thing to me. People ask me all the time, what scares me? The only thing that scares me is this. I'm going to die. I'll go to what's next. I don't know what that is. And I'll be sitting in this room. And suddenly, a film reel will start going. And there'll be a movie of my life playing out in front of me. And it'll be me doing all these things I never did. And they're going to be beautiful, grandiose, life-changing things. And I'm going to sit there and suffer because I was scared. Fear becomes your prison. This is amazing. So you dropped, you have clients, wealthy clients. The, the poor, the guy that came from poverty has wealthy clients. What did you do or what was the transition from insurance sales to running your own practice? And I'll let you enumerate or expound on what a practice is. Yeah. Well, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 12 years old. <laughs> really earlier, because this is a weird thing that I don't really ever share this, but since you asked, I, so I grew up in the Mormon church, which is another weird catalyst of all this. And at seven years old, I think I became a Boy Scout. And so we used to have to go knock door to door selling stuff for the Boy Scouts. I've been selling stuff since I was a little kid. I'm an entrepreneur by nature. And it's just in my blood. When I was 25, I actually kind of ventured into starting my first side hustle because the insurance thing, it was stealing my soul. Like it really was working for corporate, man. It's just hard. I, you know, it's gross. And, uh, and I was like, cool, I'm just going to build this thing. That was a long time ago. So I just started building the side hustle. And, and then about six years ago, I left Indiana. I moved to Portland, actually almost seven years. Crazy. I moved to Portland from Indiana. There was a therapist there who specialized in childhood trauma who was like very renowned. And I was like, I'm going to go figure this out. So I just went and I paid him all my money <laughs> and I sat with him every week for months and then years. And I figured some stuff out. And in that, I, I got into another business and started this other thing. And about five years ago, when I started Think Unbroken, I was just writing blogs. That's it. I was just posting stuff. It wasn't even called Think Unbroken. Then it was something else. And slowly over time, people started reaching out to me, Jerome, and they'd be like, hey, man, that thing that you posted changed my life. That thing you posted saved my life. That was great. That was heavy the first time somebody sent me that. Still is, honestly. And then people started asking me if I would coach them. I was like, I don't know anything about coaching, right? I don't know what I'm doing. And I was just like, okay, let me figure it out. I figured out all these other things and I'm actually helping people. So let me see if I can help them. And it really just became this thing where I started building a program. I created a three-day workshop. I started the podcast. I wrote a couple of books. I've spoken in more countries than I can count. I've traveled the world teaching my workshops and stuff and COVID happened. That's fine. Whatever. I just switched to doing online. And you know, I'm very fortunate. I've been able to 
physically and like one-on-one coach hundreds of people, group coach thousands of people and mentor through my programs and audios and podcasts, almost 500,000 people now. Like it's crazy. And I'm like, man, that is so small. It needs to be 500 million. And that's why I'm like, I got to do everything all the time to put this stuff out here because my number one goal, it's not money. I already had money. Money does not do anything when you are not in alignment with your mission. Money is pointless. And so my number one goal is very simple. It's to end generational trauma in my lifetime through education and information. It's improbable. It's impractical. It's far-fetched. Fucking probably irresponsible. But that ain't going to stop me. (laughs) the big hairy audacious goal yeah look i I try to tell people all the time fulfillment is everything and monetarily fulfillment will never come to you chasing money you know you you mentioned like when we're kids like it, it wasn't about jewelry or cars it wasn't about that it was about survival that's why we sold drugs that's it We didn't know what else to do. And then money for me turned into this thing about identity. That is dangerous, dude. Tying your identity to something like that. Oh my God, it's sickening. You're in trouble. You do that, you're in trouble. I'm telling you right now, you got to change your identity to your effort. Validate yourself about how you show up in the world. Validate yourself, build your self-esteem around your goals, your ambitions, not crossing the finish line. Think about this. I I love MMA. I've been doing Muay Thai for years, fighting really my whole life. And you watch championship fighters whose identity is tied to winning, to being a champion, and you watch them lose. Oh, it's all over. It's all over. You tie your identity to the goal and you are in trouble. You tie your identity to the effort, to being a learner, to being willing to show up every day. You're going to be victorious every day, right? And I think that that's the, the biggest thing that started to happen for me is I just looked at life and I said, I can be anything. So what do I want to be? My goals can be anything. What do I want my goals to be? I've done, I've done stuff that's impossible. I've lived in 12 countries. I've written a best-selling book. I've had investments from Grant Cardone, if you know who he is. Grant Cardone doesn't give people money. He invested in my business. I've spoken with some of the greatest minds of our lifetime on my podcast. Like I've been able to do things that are impractical. It doesn't even make sense. And I'm just getting started. I've only been doing this for 11 years. We didn't even know each other until just now. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, I am in this position that I, I want people to understand something to be true. You have the capability to do anything. You truly do. You do, but it's a mindset. And let me teach you something. I'm going to give people something very practical here. A, in minority communities, historically based on my own experience, mindset is not something we talk about. We don't talk about the reality that we can pull each other up. So that's where I want to begin that. But then secondarily, People don't talk about what mindset actually means. You can't see it because it's in front of me, but there's a big sign right here. Giant. I look at it every single moment of every day. Mindset is everything. What does that mean? Look, when you understand the power that you have to control your mind, you can do anything. Mindset is this. What you think becomes what you speak. What you speak become your actions. And your actions become your reality. And there are some of you right now who are saying things to yourself that if you said to me, I'd punch you in the fucking face. And you're expecting yourself to be successful. Think about this for a moment. If you're telling yourself, if you're beating yourself up all day long, you're reinforcing all these false narratives that other people have instilled in you. You're not good enough, strong enough, capable enough. You're ugly. You're a loser. You're fat. You're this. You're that. You'll never be successful. You'll never have a healthy relationship. You'll never blah, 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 blah. And and all of that darkness, look at your life. 
I guarantee it reflects that. And I want to be clear, like, I don't think you can be positive and bring change into your life. It doesn't work that way. But it starts with that. Because again, what you think becomes what you speak. What you speak become your action. And your action become your reality. And if you shift, I'm going to give you a real practical tool right now. You start this shift with this. You're going to grab a pen because it's this important that you're going to write this down and you're going to convince yourself of this every day until it's true. I am the kind of person who is kind to myself. I am the kind of person who is kind to myself. That's the whoa. whoa, 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 whoa. Right. People are kind to everybody but themselves. hundred percent. And, you know, there is, this is one thing that I pull on a lot. They do it because they know what their intention was. There is no hiding when you don't do what you said you were going to do. And you know, you didn't put the effort in that it was going to take in order to be successful. You can do the halo effect thing when the other person, you can say, oh, yeah, well, they didn't mean, I don't know, something simple. They didn't mean to step on my shoe. It was accident. They didn't know it. Even if that person stomped on it and they were trying to hurt you, you can say, oh, well, you know, they didn't mean, that wasn't their intention. But when you don't put in the effort, you know for a fact that you didn't deserve the outcome because you didn't do the work. So I'm sorry. I, it's just one of my favorite points. I'm, but go ahead, please. No, you're, you're right. And look, I think when you operate through a scope of kindness, for, and, look, and here's what's really interesting, Jerome. People look at me, they'll go, you're this brown dude, six foot four, covered in tattoos, head to toe with nose ring. I used to have golds too. And they're like, what do you know about kindness everything. and love and empathy and compassion? I'm like, everything. You don't know what I've been through. And everything. if you knew what I've been through, you would know that I hate suffering because I don't want anybody to experience what I experience. I'm sorry. I, I'm putting words in your mouth. No, those are the words I would use because it's true. I suffer through this. Building this, building Think Unbroken is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I've built multi-million dollar businesses. I've done really incredible things. Nothing takes more from me than this. And I do it every single day because I align myself with what? My actions every single day against what? My goal. End generational trauma in my lifetime. Not a fucking eventually, in my lifetime through education and information, right? And so that requires effort and energy and clarity. But it first starts with me making a decision to take care of myself by asking myself, how would a kind person operate today? What would a person who is kind to themselves do? All real context, a person who is kind to themselves, the way I narrate this in my own head, I'm going to go to the dentist. I'm going to go to the doctor and get this surgery that I need. I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to not be in debt. I'm going to not have sex with people without uh, emotional connection. I'm not going to waste my time playing video games. I'm not going to spend my Sundays watching football right? Those are all things I ask. What would a kind person do who's in alignment with moving towards a goal? And that's how I operate my life. And so that's where that mindset narrative comes in because you start asking yours, ask yourself, if I were kind to myself, what would I do right now? Ask yourself and watch your life be different because the problem is you're not asking yourself the right questions and the quality of your questions determine the quality of your life. And so you're asking yourself questions that are so vague that you're letting yourself off the hook, right? But most people don't want to be on the hook though, right? Because don't it's, complain. Easier, it's easier if I'm not on the hook, if I don't do the thing, because, well, I didn't try anyway. It, it's really interesting to watch people who don't want to actually understand what their limit is, right? Yeah. They just can say, oh, well, you know, I didn't really try. I didn't put all the effort in. So, you know, it's okay. If I would have tried harder, then I would have been successful, right? And you mentioned wrestling, which I think is one of the hardest sports in the world. I, I admire anybody who does it, but there is no confusion about whether you won or lost the match, mm -hmm. right? You could, you could talk about, oh, well, you know, 
he put this hold on me or it was illegal, but I mean, the ref's right there. Like they don't miss much. Come on. Like you lost. And I remember yeah. in eighth grade losing every single <laughs> match. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing and I wasn't as strong as I needed to be. And I mean, there were so many things that I, if I would have had the courage to stick with it, probably would have made me into a more fierce person, right? A, more of a fighter. But I was just like, man, I, I'm going to go do what I know that I know how to do already. And I've been yeah. working that for a decade. Yeah. And that's dangerous too, right? Because the, the challenge of self, I'll, I'll say this, wrestling was one of the greatest things I ever did. Because like my, in middle school, I did pretty well at it. Freshman year of high school, I got kicked off the team. <laughs> I got back on the team. My, and then I wrestled sophomore, junior, senior year. And I won championships. I won city tournaments. I won country tournaments. I won all these things. But man, I lost a lot. I lost a lot until I learned something. I went to this wrestling camp at IU, Indiana University, the summer of my junior year. This guy, Dwayne Goldman, who was a former Olympic athlete. And he was the coach of, I think he was an alternate. He might not have been on the team. He was a coach at IU and IU had a great wrestling program back then. This was early 2000s. And I remember distinctly him being like, you could, he told me, he was like, you could be a champion, but you don't work hard enough. And that didn't sit with me. And I never became a champion. I never became a state champion. I was champion in, you know, communities and champion of the city. And I was champion of the county. That's shit's easy, dude. The state, that's hard. And like, the truth is about that. I, take what we are talking about right now. If you're listening to this, you're paying attention. Take what we're talking about right now and apply that to your life. Because the people who are champions are the ones who are willing to sacrifice the things that don't matter to move them towards their goal. Kobe Bryant is hands down one of my favorite people of all time. I was, I was actually devastated when he died. Most people in passing as they go, like I have a moment like, man, bummer. He's the background on my phone. He, I listen to the Halloween soundtrack sometimes because that's what he did. I listen to his interviews. I read his book. I've watched that documentary Muse like seven times because he has something that I think when you understand it, and so do all the people who do things that change the world. They have this thing. It's called commitment. And commitment isn't just showing up sometime. Dude, I'm sick right now. I feel like shit. You show up right now. Are you committed? Do you want it or not? Jordan went in championships with the flu. You committed? You ready to go? You ready to do this? Like you have, but that starts with having a massive amount of clarity on your goal and who you want to be and showing up every single day. Because the people who are champions and you can be the best mom, the best podcast host, the greatest, whatever. it doesn't matter what it is. It's what you want but you got to want it bad enough to show up every day. All right. So you gave us the big, hairy, audacious goal. But what dream are you most focused on catching next? The number one thing that I have focused for this year is to have the number one mental health podcast show in the United States by the end of 2022. Clarity. I know exactly what I want. So tell the listeners about the show. I mean, what, what is the show? Yeah, so I, I created Think Unbroken Podcast because it seemed to me like I could take what I was teaching people one-on-one -on -one and I could just hand it to you. And I tell people all the time, if you just listen to the podcast, you don't need to read a book or go to the conference or coach with me. You can just listen to the podcast. It's all there. It's about change, education and information at scale. It's about giving people something that they can take and apply into their life that can create change immediately if you are willing to pay attention and take action. And so Think Unbroken podcast was really kind of a hybrid and it is a hybrid of me, but also of amazing people who have amazing stories, who have done amazing things teaching you. It's education. I tell people, you sit down with a notebook, don't just listen to it, consume it. It'll change your life. Because that's how much effort I put into it. And, and so also one of the big things about that goal of having the number one mental health podcast by the end of 2022 is A, releasing a show every single day. I'm recording a show every day for the year. And what I am doing, because this is very important, 
I'm telling everyone about it because of accountability. So that on June 16th, when I'm tired, I do it anyway. Commitment. Yikes. It's a tall order, my friend. Every day, it's a tall order. Is it though? Think about this. Let me change your mindset real quick. Go back 500 years ago, 1,000, 10,000, I don't care, whatever. It doesn't matter. Nobody took Sundays off. You worked. We're spoiled. 365 of what versus the rest of my life? Versus sitting on this and going, I said I was going to do it and I didn't do it again. Letting myself down. What's a little bit of suffering for self-worth? Keeping promises to yourself. It's everything. It's the game changer, man. So we're getting, we're getting 365 episodes locked and loaded. Two last questions for you, Michael. Absolutely. First one, what gift are you giving the world? This, myself, my truth. And it's not me. I don't do this for me. I do this for my brothers. I do this for my sister. I do this for my community. I do this for my boys who never get to listen to this because they got murdered. I do this for all the kids who grew up like me, who are growing up like me, who feel like they are nothing. I'm doing this so they know that they're not alone. Nobody else is having this conversation, man. I'm doing this because it matters. I get nothing from this. This business cost me $100,000. This business takes everything from me. Growing this thing, spending the time doing this, the effort, the energy. Why? Because I don't want a kid to have a story like I just told you. That terrifies me. And so my gift is education. I, I suffer so that other people don't have to. I'm not being a martyr. I am not Jesus. I promise. I have my own shit. Sometimes I'm a nightmare. I'm stubborn. But like, honestly, at the end of the day, it's just, if Jerome, I think about this, man. If I would have had what I am doing now when I was 13 years old, oh my God, I can't even tell you what my life would be like. And so that's a weird way to like put it into context, but it's true. I think about that a lot. If I had access to information like this, when I needed it the most, my life would have been very different. But I don't, I don't harbor that as anger or anything. I don't look at it and go, oh, well, I didn't get it, so my life sucks. I just look at it and go, this can be that thing for the other kid. Little Michael. 100%. Doing it for little Michael. Opening the door for him, giving him access. All he has to do is consume. The table is 100%. set. Yeah. Have a seat, my friend. All right. I was going to go off on a, another rabbit hole, but I'm not going to do that. Michael, thank you for being a dream catcher, man. Uh, your story is so compelling. You know, you've overcome so much and you've decided to take that pain and use it to end other people's pain instead of being the cliche of hurt people hurt people. You know, many of us think our situation is so dire. Many of us think that it's overwhelming to believe that we can do something that we're not shown we can do because, you know, our uncle did this and our aunt did that and our mom and dad did this and our big brother did that and then all our friends did this. And so, I mean, our perspective is, well, I mean, if that's what they did, then maybe I should do it too. And you're crushing stereotypes and normalizing a conversation that most people run away from, especially in the minority community. So thank you, my brother. Yeah, it's my pleasure, my friend. Thank you for letting me be here. I mean, by having this conversation, you're a part of my mission and that means the world to me. So the final question is, what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode? It's very simple. Very simple. I want you to understand the truth. I'm not an optimist. I'm not somebody who's some woo hippie person. I don't believe in half that shit. I know one truth to be true about life. Everything can be different when you make a decision. Ladies and gentlemen, everything can be different when you make a decision. Michael Unbroken, 
here with me. Can't wait to get this one out to you guys. Until the next time, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.